0: And, you know, I've just been one of these people where whenever I've been fortunate enough to get an opportunity, you just got to take advantage of it. Right. And you got to come through. And, you know, fortunately for uh, both of us, I was able to do a good job for him. And I sort of learned on the fly. And I've always thought myself as a resourceful person who, if if there's something I don't know, uh, I'll learn. I'll find out. And so just over time again one thing led to another to another where before you know it you know here we are in 2019 and i've done over 500 contracts throughout the entire league what's up
1: everybody i'm michael elkins labor and employment attorney founder of the law firm mle law investor and your host for this episode of game seven the sports business and lifestyle podcast my guest this week NFL super agent, Brett Tesler. The Washington Post recently reported that there are about 830 agents certified by the National Football League Players Association. That's more than one for every three players in or around the league, which makes it a brutally competitive business. In fact, roughly 75% of NFL players are represented by just 17% of all certified agents, according to the NFLPA statistics. My guest, Brett Tesler, is one of those 17%. Having done almost 500 contracts in the National Football League, spanning over a period of approximately 20 years, Brett is definitely one of the gold standard agents, and it was a real pleasure to speak with him. In this episode, he talks about his job. He gives us details on how he went from college student to NFL agent, how he learned the collective bargaining agreement, his philosophy on handling players, and some interesting thoughts on how he deals with conflict with players, the media, and social media in general. This is a great, great interview for anyone who has an interest in both business and sports and definitely covers the intersection between these two topics. Brett was candid, forthcoming, and quite frankly, it was a lot of fun to catch up with my old friend. So sit back, everybody, relax, and enjoy this episode of Game 7, the Sports, Business, and Lifestyle podcast with my guest, NFL super agent, Brett Tesler.
0: going on, man? Nothing, buddy. Good to be with you. I mean, uh, (laughs) it's so funny. I've known you, I guess, since what, 1993? Yeah. So, you know, I've started this
1: show and it's kind of, I guess, I keep saying it's tradition. I always start off with how I know the guest, but this is kind of interesting. Yeah. 1993, University of fucking Tampa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where I spent like half a second, I think.
0: And you weren't there very long either, right? I was there for two years and then I ended up transferring to Purdue where I ended up graduating and I actually met my first client there. Yep. And that's kind of the stroke of luck I had to get into the business. But, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed keeping tabs on you throughout the years on social media and stuff. <laughs> Appreciate and that. I'm Same really here. proud of you. And, and I have to say to anybody out here listening to this since I first met you, you are a really nice guy. <laughs>
1: I appreciate and, that. And, and, and always, well. And, well,
0: thank you, man. But no, really, you always were. I remember you were a little bit younger than me. You might've yep. come in like a year after. And, um, you know, we both had a little more hair back then. We both had a lot more hair back then.
1: <laughs> but, you know, I, I remember, so we met cause I pledged fraternity Phi Delta Theta at university of Tampa. And I, I have two memories. One, this might bring it way back Harbor Island. You lived on Harbor Island, right? Yeah.
0: Harbor. Yeah. That, that, that's where I uh, stayed (laughs) over there. Nice, you know, nice, safe, quiet area, sort of away from campus a little bit. Yeah.
1: And then the other memory I have, it's, it's just in my brain is I think we were going to some rush event or some event. I feel like at a bowling alley, but I rode there with you and like, I feel like maybe, I don't know, someone cut us off. Or the car almost flipped, or something crazy. I feel like I remember happening, but I can't remember if that was real or not. But I feel like it was in a. Did you have like a uh, a Nissan? In- I did. I, did. Yeah. I had a. I had a black yes, Pathfinder, but I it. don't.
0: I don't recall ever uh, almost flipping it, nor do I recall <laughs> any bowling alleys. But uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of things from my yeah, college exactly. days I don't remember.
1: So well, it's great to be here with you. We're sitting in this great room, and uh, we just saw your guitar room, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But you you mentioned that you transferred from Tampa to Purdue, and that's sort of where you got started in the in the NFL agency business. Um, and anybody who's listening to this already knows you're, you've been an agent now for a long time. So I want to go back and start there because this show obviously is to really talk about your journey and and how you've gone from um, you having your first client back in the early days to being you know one of the premier agents now in the league. So take us back. How did it come about? What happened that got you started? Because I think a lot of people are interested in how one gets into this business.
0: Well, you know, life is one big chain of events. And, uh, I always tell people that had I not become an agent, I wouldn't have anything that I have today because, uh, I ended up actually meeting my wife in an airport on the way to one of my clients' weddings in Denver. And so, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's amazing the way life works out, Mike, but, uh, You know, if you think back to the Tampa days, I wasn't necessarily the greatest student or the or the most motivated guy at that time. And um, I felt like after my second year there that I kind of wanted a little more of a a big college experience. That was a small school. uh, Yeah, small private school, very nice school. uh, Nothing but fond memories there, and still to this day, whenever I go up to Tampa to. Uh, Watch some clients either on the Buccaneers or on another team coming in to visit. I always make a point of driving through there. Many, many fond memories. And so I just remember feeling like I needed to maybe be challenged a little more. And so I ended up sending um, letters to a lot of the bigger schools out there, applications, applications. Got accepted to Ohio State, South Carolina. I mean, just random places that I just kind of wanted to see what I could get into. And um, got accepted to South Carolina. Went and visited with my parents. Uh, Most beautiful girls I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) to the point where i realized i cannot go here (laughs) you know (laughs) that's the sec right exactly (laughs) so uh went and visited purdue up in uh, indiana west lafayette indiana went up there with my folks and uh it just it felt comfortable and uh for whatever reason it just felt like the right place for me and uh you know phi delta theta was a great chapter there so The first thing I did when I got into town was go, you know, knock on the door there at the house and introduce myself and seem like a good group of guys and seem like a place that I felt like I'd be happy. So went ahead uh, and enrolled in Purdue and uh, spent my last two years there. And then as it turned out, there was a top fullback by the name of Mike Allstott, right? Who graduated the same year I did. And while I never really knew him, I was friends with other guys on the team who introduced me to him. And so when he got drafted by the Buccaneers, I, you know, told him, hey, man, you know, I know all about Tampa because I had just come from there and he was excited to hear all about it. So we ended up hanging out one night and I said to him, I go, listen, man, you know, it's always been my dream to be involved in the business of sports I said, and I know a lot of people in the Tampa market just because as a sports fan there, when I went to school, I would always go hit the local memorabilia stores and I got to know some of the owners of those places. And so I said to him, you know, I think I could probably help set you up with some appearances when you get to Tampa. And uh, so I contacted some of my old connections there and, you know, they were obviously very excited to have All Stock come into town. And I set him up with some appearances there as well as some appearances in the mall up at uh, Purdue. And, uh, you know, we ended up doing a lot of good stuff together and small little appearances ended up turning into giant marketing marketing opportunities uh, to where I ended up getting him, you know, a sideline hat deal with a company company like Logo Athletic. And then ultimately ended up doing a Sony deal with them where I got him on the cover of their NFL Extreme game. Wow yeah and so from there i had gotten certified with the nfl players association and started trying to learn the collective bargaining agreement and (laughs) you know things that i needed to know to become a contract agent and uh the next year there was a couple players coming out of purdue not top guys or anything like that but just guys who i was aware of as somebody who came from purdue that i thought were good players and i had mike put in a plug me with those guys and you know i was fortunate to sign them and they somehow ended up making it and you know 22 years later here we are so i want to back up because you said something really interesting and i think
1: you know my audience is sports but also business and entrepreneurship you what was it that gave you i guess the the foresight or the um courage to say to this to mike at the time like look i've always wanted to be in sports i think i could help you I, i think Because I think a lot of people don't really take that shot. And it feels like the moment, whatever that moment was where you said that, you were sort of taking your shot, right? I mean, you, you you sensed the opportunity, I take it. Is that a fair way to characterize it? Like, were you thinking, look, this is a chance I can break into this business? Or was it sort of off the cuff or kind of what was going on back then with that? Well,
0: yeah, obviously it was an extraordinary opportunity for me to have access to somebody like that. And, uh, you know, I knew as much about sports representation at that point as, you know, about hang gliding, you know, (laughs) right? You don't, you don't hang hang glide, do you? (laughs) Would have been interesting
1: if I was like, oh, well, I do that for (laughs) them.
0: But, uh, but no, it, it was just one of those situations where I wouldn't say it was fake it until you make it. Yeah. Because, you know, I never advertised myself to be more than I was. I was very sincere and honest with him in terms of what I felt like I could do for him right and you know again fortunately we had a common friend who he trusted who put in a good word for me and you know I've just been one of these people where whenever I've been fortunate enough to get an opportunity you just got to take advantage of it right and you got to come through and you know fortunately for uh both of us I was able to do a good job for him and I sort of learned on the fly. And I've always thought myself as a resourceful person who, if there's something I don't know, uh, I'll learn, I'll find out. And so just over time, again, one thing led to another, to another, where before you know it, you know, here we are in 2019 and I've done over 500 contracts throughout the entire league. Wow.
1: Now, so I guess a good word might be fearless in that moment. Because I think a lot of people in business and in whatever they're doing, they they kind of get to a point where they say, God, I really want to do X, whatever X is. Start a podcast, be an agent. And then they stop because they they don't know what to do. But that didn't happen for you. Right. I mean, you just knew to run with it. You didn't necessarily know about sports representation, but it sounds like you knew enough to say, look, I'm going to take a shot at this and I'm going to figure it out on the fly.
0: I'd like to think I've always been resourceful enough to get access to the right people who know what I'm trying to learn. Right. And so I believe the most important thing, not just in this business, but in any business is having a mentor. And I look back over my career and, you know, I've been very fortunate to get to know a lot of the agents that I really looked up to and respected. Yeah. Uh, when I was coming into this business, for example, uh, guys like uh, Dave Levine and Mark Pollock, okay, who were two of the top agent in the, agents in the business, they were partners. When I got into this, I remember meeting Mark Pollock in the airport on the way to my first combine up in Indianapolis for the first agent seminar, and I mean I was as intimidated as could be, and I just remember approaching him, and he was a really you know decent friendly guy. And uh, he's since gone on more to baseball, and he represents Anthony Rizzo and many, many other great, great players around the major leagues. And Dave Levine, obviously, uh, amazing agent and uh, a guy who's represented numerous first-round picks throughout the years. And he's since gone on to become beyond successful with uh, workers' comp claims and things like that for retired players right so and and to this day i i consider dave levine one of my very closest friends in the world and so you know i remember when i first met him i just wanted to you know shake the guy's hand and just you know <laughs> ask him questions and and and, and it's really a, a testament to those kind of guys that they were willing to take the time when they didn't need to and that's why today no matter how busy i am And no matter how many people hit me up and want to intern or you know ask me questions, regardless whether or not there's anything I can do for them, I at least try to take the time and show them the courtesy that I was shown early in my career. So you're paying it forward, trying to. Yeah.
1: Is this a business where there is a lot of mentorship happening between other agents? (laughs) Because I think yeah. So, and I'm asking because I think. There's a stigma, right, that it is super cutthroat and it's, you know, dog eat dog. And I think you see that in business, but I think in the sports agency world, at least the impression is it's even more so. So can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it sounds like you were fortunate to meet some really great people who I think understand that the way it, I think business really works is help each other, if you help other people. You're going to help yourself. But I'm wondering if the business generally is like that.
0: It's an incredibly cutthroat business. Unfortunately, uh, unlike other professions where like in your profession, for example, one attorney could say something good about a competitor or another doctor can praise a doctor's work. It doesn't really work like that in the business of sports representation. (laughs) And, uh, really those guys that I just talked about were more the exception than the rule. Right. And, uh, Look, it's it's just in a a business like this, unlike a realtor where everybody they encounter on a daily basis could be a potential client, you know, for me, the talent pool is incredibly thin. Right. And so I believe I just read that of the 800 or so certified agents, less than 100 even represent one player on a team. And so. I think if you represent five players, it makes you in the top 10% of all the agents. Well, I mean, I'm fortunate. I usually represent anywhere between a dozen or 15 guys. And I specifically keep it to that number because I work alone and I know what really needs to be put in to do this job correctly. And so I can't spread myself too thin. For me, it's quality over quantity. And uh, no, in this business, you either win big or lose big. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot of money to be made. And anytime that scenario exists, there is going to be uh, some real um, cutthroat and competitive uh, uh, instincts kicking (laughs) in.
1: So I'm curious then on the the psychology, I guess, or how you deal with, it sounds intense, obviously, but how you deal with the cutthroat nature, the extreme cutthroat nature, where it sounds like People aren't going to say nice things about you in order to try to get a client. Um, that happens a little bit in the legal world, but really not that much. I think it's a very collegial profession. And and I certainly try to abide by the idea that, like, look, if I'm bad-mouthing people, that probably says a lot about me. You, I don't think you're someone who's bad-mouthing people, but I'm curious, psychologically, how do you deal with that?
0: For me, the best way to deal with it is to just try to keep it, Out of sight and out of mind, because as you said, Mike, I, my personal approach is to not do that. I know anytime I'm doing anything, whether it's buying a car or, you know, whatever the case may be, as soon as somebody talks bad about another product or another person to me, I just know what a turnoff it is. And I try to approach people the way I would want to be approached if I were in their shoes and so for me uh, I just try to be sincere Uh, I don't try to portray myself as more than I am and if it's somebody who is going to be high maintenance if it's somebody who's going to be irresponsible if it's somebody who I don't feel like I can trust or somebody who I feel is going to appreciate all the hard work that I'm putting into this for them then they're probably not the right client for me so for me it's a two-way street you know a lot of agents out there may want to try to just get every player they can get regardless well for me the same way that there's a certain kind of agent for them there's a certain kind of client for me right and so again it's a two-way street and the same way that if somebody doesn't believe me or trust me they shouldn't go with me if I can't believe in them or trust them or if I feel like they're going to do something stupid to jeopardize all the hard work that's being put in to try to help them, then it's just better off right from the start uh, to acknowledge that we're probably not the right uh, fit for each other. So you said something
1: earlier. Um, you said you work alone, correct? Um, so it's kind of like you're, and you you keep your client roster at a certain number to maximize. I'm assuming you know attention and effort and resources. So it's like you're scaling, basically, to use a you know regular business term. Um, was there ever a point where you thought you might want to grow it? Um, you know, what kind of led you to the decision to keep it sort of a smaller, I guess, um, I would, maybe boutique's the right word. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know if that's the right word, but (laughs) that's the one that comes to mind.
0: No, that's accurate. And I would say it's just when you've done this as long as I have, you understand what goes into representing each client and you know how many hours there are in the day and you know x amount of clients times x amount of hours you just kind of realize what the right amount of guys to represent is and you don't want to bite off more than you can chew right because the reason why i would think guys would choose to go with me is because they know that they're going to get the personal attention that regardless what the bigger agencies tell them they're going to do they just simply are not able just based on, you know, simple mathematics, right? They're just not going to be able to really, uh, give them that type of attention and that type of effort. And another thing too, is because I love what I do as much as I do, and I'm so thankful for the people that put their trust and their faith in me. Uh, you know, to me, there's a tremendous loyalty that gets developed there to where let's just say a guy ends up getting released, or let's say that a guy ends up getting injured from a business standpoint. If you're part of a large firm, it doesn't make sense to really continue working for that guy. Where for me, uh, you know, once somebody puts their trust in me, I'll never turn my back on them. And, uh, and that's why I'm very proud to say that many of my closest friends to this day, are clients of mine who've been retired for, you know, over 15 years. In fact, uh, you know, when I got married, three of my retired guys at the time were groomsmen of mine. And uh, when other clients of mine have gotten married, heck, you know, I've been groomsmen of theirs. In fact, the player who I represented when he got married, I was his best man. So I don't think you're going to find a lot of agents that have that type of relationship with their clients. And uh, this is something I'm very proud of.
1: That's that's pretty interesting. Do you find that you're having to sort of explain to a lot of potential clients the differences between sort of a boutique situation versus some of the bigger shops? And I guess part of that would be, is it out there sort of in the community that, like these bigger agencies, they may, you know, give you a great presentation and a lot of glitz and glam, but if something goes wrong, they're probably going to cut bait with you pretty quickly. Is that something that's out there or is that something that uh, you're finding players are receptive to or understanding before you even talk to them?
0: I don't think that's something I need to explain. I think that's something that should be common sense. Right. And um, so, again, the type of player and the type of person that I want to work with knows what they're getting when they go with me. And, you know, they know what they're getting when they go with a large firm. And I'm not knocking the large firm. Understood. No, I'm just I'm just simply saying that you know, for some people, uh, they like chocolate, other people like vanilla. Right. And so if you're somebody who's looking for a large firm, very simple, uh, you're not going to want to go with me. And on the other hand, if you're looking for somebody who, uh, is going to really give you that personal attention and really work his tail off for you to the very end, um, they may not want to go with a larger firm. So there's something for everybody. And, uh, fortunately, you know, I've sort of created my niche and I found what works for me. And I guess I'm just going to stick with that.
1: And you've been in the business now over 20 years. This is a low, this is a low retention business, right? A lot of people start as agents or try to be agents and they don't last very long. I think the statistics are like, it's like 80 something percent of people that, you know, sign up and pass the exam. They don't, they don't end up doing anything. I'm curious, you know, how you're able to stay in it for so long and continue to maintain that consistency of clients because I think we see this in business all the time, right? I mean, like, look at WeWork. You know, they broke into the office space business, so to speak, and they were the darling for a while, and that's sort of all falling apart right now. And you see businesses come and go. I mean, you are a business. It's an individual, but it's a business. I mean, twenty years in a business is amazing for any business—law firm, accounting firm, doesn't matter what it is. So I'm curious how you've been able to keep it going for that long, in an industry that is just doesn't really happen that much. Sands, there's there's really only a few of you that have done it this long at this level. So I, I mean, I find that interesting. I'm curious how.
0: I guess the short answer is I had no choice. Uh, you know, this is all I ever wanted to do, you know, since I was a kid, when I would read the sports section every day and there'd be an article about a player signing a contract, you would always see the agent's name there. And while I knew that I would certainly never be a professional athlete, I figured, you know what, maybe this is a way that I could make my mark. And I've always loved sports and I've always loved business. And so when you put the two together, this is what you get. And truthfully, Mike, because I started doing this at such a young age, I never was able to do what you did and, you know, start a law practice or, you know, do anything like that to where I would have something to fall back on. So for me, failure failure wasn't an option and still to this day, it's not. And so I still have the same love and the same passion and the same uh, energy and enthusiasm and everything that I had from day one. And if the day ever came where I woke up and just wasn't looking forward to dealing with teams or, you know, speaking to my clients or speaking to their parents, then it would be time for me to do something else. But, uh, you know, as it turns out, this is what I love. It pays the rent and, uh, (laughs) I guess we'll keep doing it.
1: Yeah. I'm curious in 20 years, I'm sure you're, well, I'm not sure. I would guess, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that you're a lot different now from a business standpoint than maybe you were 20 years ago and i'm curious sort of what have you learned along the way and um you know what lessons were what lessons did you have or to happen that kind of kept you going and if you're sort of looking back if you could like write the letter to the younger agent self (laughs) you know and say remember when don't do that i'm curious you know what those
0: lessons were I mean, the number one lesson, which to me is probably the most important lesson in life, no matter what you do, is just believe in yourself. And I knew that whatever opportunities, again, that I would be fortunate enough to get, that I was going to take advantage of it. And so... I look back most fondly on some of my earliest days in this business. Right. And it's great to go on to represent some of the, you know, great starting players in this league, team captains, uh, you know, some guys who are at the very top of their profession, you know, some of the best guys in the league at their positions. Um, My fondest memory still to this day aren't sitting here you know in this big house or you know getting to you know go to some of the neat places i get to go and meet some of the you know impressive people i get to meet my fondest memories were the early days in my little townhouse (laughs) just struggling and just barely scraping by and trying to figure out how on god's green earth i'm gonna make it yeah and so still to this day and, and I, I tell my clients this if they go through a, uh, a tough uh, tough situation, whether it be trying to come back from an injury or if they end up getting cut, I mean in some cases, look, I mean I represent a starting uh, right tackle on the New York Giants who got yeah. cut seven times in his first two years in the league. Wow. And you know, went on to do deals of tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars. But again, I tell these guys early on, "Hey, this is what I went through, and nobody said this was going to be easy." And any time in life that anybody tries to accomplish anything great, you know, if There's it were sh- easy, everybody would do it. Absolutely. And so, you know, the way I look at it is it's it's sort of like if if you win the lottery, don't complain about the taxes. <laughs> and so It's a good analogy. Yeah, so you know, I I think that hopefully um I'm able to um, maybe inspire some of my clients with my own story and some of the struggles that I went through early in my career. And believe me, Mike, I mean, there's nothing special about me. You would agree. You've known me a long time. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think all around I'm a, I'm a good guy, but you yeah. knew guys smarter than me. You knew guys you know, who got better grades. You knew guys who, whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, if you're willing to work hard and if you believe in yourself and you love what you do and you know, you just hang in there with it in the end, you know, you can come out on top. Yeah.
1: I think it's one of those things. I mean, I love what I do as well. I wake up every day and I don't feel like I'm going to work and my day is different every day. I love the type of law I practice. I love doing the podcast. And I think, you know, this is something that Belichick has said, and I agree with it. If, if you love what you do, it's really not like going to work. It sounds like you kind of have sort of that same attitude.
0: Yeah, very yeah. much so. I don't consider what I do work. Uh, well, actually, no, it's work, but I don't really consider it a job.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's exactly it's, it, it, yeah.
0: It's, it's, it's more like a passion. It's something I look forward to, do, to, to doing every day. And, uh, you know, that's kind of why I work out of my home, because yeah. this isn't A job. It's more a way of life. Unlike, you know, a lot of other people out there that know exactly what time they're waking up in the morning. Yeah. And exactly what time they're coming home in the evening. And exactly the amount of time every night they have to, you know, play with their kids or do whatever. My business just isn't that way. So it's not unusual that at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, on a given day, I'm free to go play tennis or go walk through the mall or meet friends for lunch. But they then again it's also possible that my friends that hate me because they're working <laughs> at that time you know at two in the morning when they're you know sound asleep at home with their family I'm in some shitty hotel somewhere in uh, you know yeah. Kentucky uh, you know working on a contract or recruiting yeah. a player and so you know like everything else in life you know there's the pluses and there's the minuses but Certainly, I love what I do, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the yeah. world.
1: So you mentioned something earlier I wanted to sort of circle back and maybe get a little bit more technical, especially being a labor lawyer. You know, the, the CBA obviously is right in my wheelhouse, and obviously I pay attention to the bargaining negotiations. I've done a bunch of labor law in, in my entire career. How did you go about learning the CBA? Um, and I, I ask that because I think for fans, and I'm a fan obviously, but as a labor lawyer, I kind of get. Collective bargaining, of course, but I think there's sort of a misconception that an agent just negotiates a contract and they get the player out of trouble and that's what they do. But it's not. I mean, the CBA really is the key, I think, to all of it at the end of the day. And that's not an easy document. So I'm curious when you sort of picked it up and said, I got to learn this. How would you go about doing that? And, you know, what did you do to do that? And how important is that in your Profession.
0: Well, even the top surgeon out there still refers to a medical book and the top attorneys out there still refer to uh, legal books. And so when it comes to the CBA, obviously, you know, once you kind of get going as an agent, you know, all the basic things you need to understand as it relates to what your clients need to get credited seasons which move them uh, forward salary wise, uh, as well as uh, make them eligible for pension accrued seasons, where a player needs six games a year to move ahead toward free agency. These are all things that obviously you know are very basic, but you know doesn't matter who you are. Still to this day, anytime any uh, technical scenario presents itself you can always just pick up the good old CBA <laughs> yep. and you know, refer to the index and look right. at chapter this, page that, yeah. and your answers there. And as well, uh, the NFL Players Association is a great resource and their legal department there, those guys are very helpful to uh, all the agents in the business. And so yep. when you're negotiating an injury settlement for one of your players or um, things of that nature, you always have to refer to the players association legal department to make sure that what you're agreeing to is what is standard and customary, uh, around the league uh, as yeah. it relates to the different teams and that what you're agreeing to is the same exact language that the last player that right. they did an injury settlement for agreed to. So, you know, it's, again, it just goes back to being resourceful, but I tell people all the time, the easiest part of this business is negotiating contracts. Right contracts I mean you know can be done in 5 minutes people ask me oh you know Antonio Brown signed with the <laughs> with the uh, Patriots so quickly you know how far in advance did they have to you know be working on that or uh I heard it took 40 minutes total (laughs) from beginning to end. And and, and, and knowing what I know about doing these things, that's probably very accurate. Everybody thinks that there was probably tampering going on or that his agent needed to be talking to the Patriots before they should have been allowed to. That's not necessarily the case. If one team releases one of my guys this minute, I can have a contract done with them. With, for, I can have a contract done for them with another team in 20 minutes as long as we're all on the same page and the team is motivated to sign the player and I'm motivated to put the player there. Right. These things can be done incredibly quickly. The difficult part in this business is getting to that point of negotiating the contract, sticking with the player to where he finally uh, becomes a good player and reaches free agency and ultimately is in a position to get paid. Right.
1: I mean, most of the contracts, a lot of the language from my understanding is it's all pretty much the same. And then there's going to be some changes. Right. Like with with Antonio Brown's contract, I've heard they the Patriots put some clauses in to protect them in case of, you know, some of the situations we're sort of hearing about. But for the most part, it's really about just figuring out those dollars and the team making it work under the cap.
0: Well, I mean, the contract doesn't negotiate itself. You know, you still there's definitely some very important things there where you certainly need to know what you're doing. But the point that I'm making, and, and you know, it kind of lends itself to where some people wonder if players don't need an agent, uh, where sometimes they <laughs> think that you can just pay an attorney by the hour, but this isn't a legal business. Right. This is a business of relationships, my relationships with these teams. And so when you've represented players on all 32 teams, And you've got every general manager's cell number on speed dial. And, you know, if I needed to get whoever on the phone right now around the league, I can get them. Right. And that didn't just happen overnight. Yeah, And that's something that somebody from the outside who thinks, oh, you know, this is very simple. I can just, you know, get paid by the hour and try to Get into this business and try to, you know, it just it just doesn't work that way.
1: And that's, I think, the point, right? Like the the contract language is the contract language. And like you said, getting to that point is the key. So someone like me, I could read anyone can read a contract, but I can't get somebody to teams A, B, C and D when they hit free agency. That's the relationship part of it. And it sounds like if you need legal resources, the NFLPA is providing that, which I didn't even really realize.
0: You're able to utilize them for legal issues? Absolutely. And uh, and so, yes. but uh, but But back to what we were talking about, Mike. Again, there is a real value in experience. And that's why the players that I recruit and sign these days are not the kind of guys that I would have reached out to and tried to recruit 22 years ago, the guys that I was signing then were the guys who had nothing to lose by giving a new (laughs) agent a shot. Right. You know, these were not, you know, high draft picks. These were not uh, guys that were by any means a slam dunk, make it type guy. And so, because again, I was very honest with them and telling them, listen, you know, what I lack in experience, I'm going to more than make up for in effort and work ethic. And, you know, this is as urgent, this, this is as important to me as it is to you. You And we're in it together. And again, thankfully some of them put their trust in me. And in fact, you know, when I look back to some of my early years in this business, even when I started getting better guys, uh, I have no idea what they were thinking going with me. (laughs) Because, you know, in some cases now, you know, my second, third year, I'm going against some of the top agents in the business already. And for whatever reason, they decide to sign with me. And I just know that knowing what's at stake for these guys and how fragile an NFL career is, I mean, it's something you can't roll the dice on. And at that point, you know, that's kind of what they may have been doing by going with me. Uh, Although, again, you know, I always came through. But, uh, you know, even (laughs) even as a parent myself now. Uh, if my son ever became a, a major league pitching prospect right. and a 24, 25 year old agent is knocking on my door to, you know, entrust my son's future. And on the other hand, on line two, you know, I've got somebody who's been there and done it for as long as some of these other guys have, uh, there's no way in hell I would have let my son go with me, but, uh, interesting. Fortunately, I'm happy that uh, that these guys did and I'm happy that uh, their parents, you know, believed in me and trusted me. And I'm very happy and proud to say that I don't think I've ever let anybody down. And uh, again, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for some of these people putting their trust in me.
1: Practical question. One that always fascinates me. We see social media is taking over everything. I use it all the time. Um, It's important, I think whether people like it or don't like it, how has that changed your business for especially dealing with players? Cause we see players out on social media a lot now. Um, and I'm curious the difference between what you're dealing with now and what you were dealing with 20 years ago and how do you approach it?
0: Well, social media is a great tool to get your name and your message out there. It's a great way for players to be able to interact with fans Uh, It's a great way to uh, get the most up-to-the-minute news as it relates to injuries around the league and things like that. So for me, it's a tremendous tool uh, as it relates to what clients of mine should or should not be putting out there. Again, I think I represent a sensible type of client who understands the number one adage as it relates to social media posts, which is if you're not sure whether or not you should tweet <laughs> something, don't. And so, and that and that applies to I think me that too. Applies to everyone. Right? Yeah, that's probably good advice. <laughs> that's that's the best advice there is. So, uh, if used properly, I think social media is a wonderful thing. And uh, obviously, a lot of the attention as it relates to social media uh, are are in the instances where a player winds up saying the wrong thing or, or, you know, getting themselves in hot water with their team or things like this. So, um, but for the most part, I think it's great.
1: Yeah. How do you, um, from a psychology perspective approach controversy with one of your, with a player, I'm not asking you to name any names at all. I'm just saying in a general sense, I mean, you see what's going on with Brown and you see it with player every year. There's always something with some player. I'm curious how you sort of deal with that um, with the media, the way it is today and with social media, sort of what's your psychology on those types of things?
0: You know, it's funny that early on you kind of get thrust into certain situations that you don't expect. And I have had players, you know, if you've been doing this as long as I have and have represented as many guys, uh, you know, everybody thinks that players get in all this trouble and you hear about, you know, this player getting arrested. The truth is when you compare professional athletes to society at large, uh, a way, way, way smaller percentage of players get in trouble than just the average citizen out there. Yet when, you know, one of these guys ends up doing something such a it's good front. Point. Yeah. It's front page news. And so as an agent, it's your job to, take the bullets for your client. And, you know, one thing about me and I'll make this perfectly clear, I am not a babysitter and I am not an enabler and I would not represent anybody who, you know, I wouldn't trust with my kids. And so, interesting, uh, yeah. And, and so sometimes, you know, as an agent, (laughs) you find yourself, you know, you walk out of, uh, Uh, court or whatever and all of a sudden you know there's a hundred cameras in your face or you're at training camp one day and your player winds up getting involved in the um scandal and before you know it you know you're surrounded by 50 cameras and microphones and uh you know something happens with one of your guys and before you know it you've got you know Anderson Cooper reaching out to have you on the show you got ESPN calling you've got CNN calling Piers Morgan whatever and so It's just one of those things where it goes with the territory. And again, thanks to my experience in having dealt with enough of these things throughout the years, uh, whenever these situations present themselves, uh, I know exactly what to do and, you know, how to help best serve my client and help them navigate the rough water, so to speak. Yeah.
1: Um, One more thing on sort of the agency Part and then I want to transition to this amazing guitar collection that I saw upstairs. Um, the collective bargaining agreement, you know, the the labor negotiations—they're coming up. How closely do you pay attention to that when that's happening? Because um, I know you know the players' union, obviously negotiating with management. I've one thing I've never been able to wrap my arms around is how the agents fit into that. Um, or how you deal with those negotiations? Are you able to sort of get reports on what's happening at the bargaining table? Are you tracking it, or do you just sort of sit back and say, look, it's going to be what it's going to be? Uh, I'm just curious generally sort of where, not necessarily you personally, but where the agents sort of fit in when the negotiations are happening.
0: Well, the agents play no role whatsoever in the negotiations. That is all done right. between the League Management Council right? and uh and, and and the nfl players association uh council. i think what
1: i mean is are you, how do you how do you guys follow it um and you know are you trying to talk to the union to get bargaining table updates or do you guys just sort of sit back and wait to see what the players sign
0: well it's something that's obviously very important to us and something we take a great interest in but for right now one thing i always tell people the one thing i've learned about the way this league works more than anything Mike is nothing ever gets done until it has to. And so it's very premature a couple of years out now to get too high or too low yeah. with, oh, you know, they just had a meeting. This looks good. Or, oh, you know, <laughs> this meeting just ended prematurely. And, you know, this could mean there there's going to be a strike. It's just, again, we've been through this before with the league. And, you know, I think everybody knows that... Uh, the league office drives a pretty hard bargain and they're very bottom line oriented. And obviously the players association's job is to do what's in the best interest of the players at large. And so, um, you know, for now you just kind of keep an eye on it. You know, I'll read about things, reports online, just like you or any fans out there. And then as things start to get to a critical mass, we'll start getting a lot more reports directly from the players association. Right. They'll be sending emails, you know, updating us on different things. Uh, They will be informing the player reps on every team, how things are looking, and they will then go ahead and pass along the information to a lot of the players. So, you know, the information gets out, but it's one of those things where it's pointless to lose sleep over it now because ultimately Yes, players need to be responsible. They need to prepare themselves for anything, meaning, you know, put away money, which they should be doing anyway. Right. But in the event that uh, a work stoppage does actually happen, um, the greatest strength that players will have against the owners is being in a good, smart financial position where they can withstand the loss of paychecks. That's right. These owners are smart, and they're billionaires. <laughs> That's right. And they know that in a war of attrition, there's a good chance they're going to win because if if players don't show strength in numbers and if guys are not being responsible financially and preparing themselves ahead of time for a looming work stoppage, then essentially the owners have already won before it even begins. That's right.
1: I wrote, I wrote an article about the upcoming negotiations. I wrote the article maybe six months, eight months ago, but made that exact point, which was, you know, the, the, the large group of the players are made up of the guys whose careers are zero to 3.4, 3.5 years, which is the average career. Right. And the owners know that. I mean, there, there's only a few drew breezes and Tom Brady's who are earning that kind of money. So you're, it's a great point that collectively the players really have to make sure they're all on the same page. Cause the war of attrition could always be won by ownership, but let's transition <laughs> to something fun. I had no idea you were a guitar en- enthusiast and this is audio. So people can't hear it, but I'm going to tell people to go to the social media pages for all of us because we got some pictures in this room you have upstairs, which is pretty damn cool. You talk about this. I- I'll I would describe it, but you probably could do a lot better job. You got cool shit up there, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, thank you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, you know, that room is just kind of taken on a life of its own. And uh, I've always been a lover of music. And I- I've always just been drawn to the guitar. Uh, just the aesthetic beauty of the instrument. Uh, I do play it not extremely well, but I-, I, just- I just enjoy the instrument. I find it very relaxing to play. Um, I like to play for my kids. Um, you know, Do they
1: think you play well?
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> pe- pe- people, people who don't know better think I'm pretty good, but, you know, it's always relative, man. You know, whenever you think someone's great, there's always someone better. Yeah. And so for me, it's more just about a, a place where I can relax and it's just sort of my man cave. And I think it's been about 19 years since I got my first guitar. And I think I'm up to what 55 now and so you know they're up on the wall i'm a big fan big gibson les paul fan yeah uh to me you know there's nothing like a les paul just that sound the sustain uh the beauty uh every everything about it it's just it's just a great guitar and uh and so as time's gone on you know the collection just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger to where i don't think i have any space on the wall for another one so
1: (laughs) well you've got some great some great guitars up there what are a couple of your favorites i know we talked about some but just so people can because they can't see it because we're audio. So what do you have up there that well, are some of your favorites? Yeah, you know,
0: I, I like all kinds of music, but I'd say predominantly I'm a rock fan. Yeah. So, you know, I'd say some of the Les Pauls. Growing up, I was a Kiss fan. So yep. I have an Ace Freely uh, Les Paul, which is really awesome. Nice. And, um, you know, throughout the years, I have a, a 58, 59, 60, 61. They're all reissues because an original uh, 59 less Paul goes for about a half a million. Oh, well, and while I'm doing well, <laughs> uh, I'm not doing that well, <laughs> right. so, but, uh, but no, I just, I just love the instrument. I just love playing it. Sometimes I'll just sit in that room and not even pick one up. I'll just look at the beauty of the different grains of wood and some of these guitars and yeah. different colors and different shapes. And, uh, it's just something, you know, that that just brings me a lot of happiness. And I always enjoy sharing it with friends like you that yeah. come by and
1: totally super impressive. I had no I just had no idea. Thank you. Um, very, very cool stuff. Thank so um, it's probably a good place to uh, to sign off here. Um, first, thank you so much for doing this. I truly appreciate it, especially on a what is it, Thursday night, Thursday night um, at your home, which is great. I appreciate you open that up to me. Um, how can people find you um, on social media if they want to follow you and your clients and what you're doing? What's the best places?
0: I'd say the best thing is Twitter. You can follow me at Tesla Sports. OK. And um, and you do a radio show, right? Yeah. Every Tuesday morning down here in South Florida. I'm a, I'm on 940 W.I.N.Z. on the Jeff DeForest show. And obviously, Defo is a South Florida <laughs> sports radio legend. Yep. He's the longest tenured yeah sports radio host in South Florida and so that's just something that uh, I've been doing for a long time um, what I'm time sp- can they hear that I- I'm on every Tuesday morning about eight thirty-five ish okay and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my sponsor who Absolutely. is uh, Michael wild he's the top estate planning attorney down here in South Florida I just had lunch with him a couple weeks ago great guy isn't <laughs> oh.
1: he? he's a- he's a master of legal marketing he's, um, he's amazing the pink jacket? Oh, yeah, my well, God. During, yeah,
0: for, for breast cancer month, you can find him wearing his pink jacket. But yep. uh, <clears throat> anybody out there who needs to get any of their estate plans taken care yeah. of, you can find him at SouthFloridaWills.com. And uh, just just a great guy. Really down to earth. Really great. And again, you know, check him out, SouthFloridaWills.com.
1: Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. And uh, have a great night. And we'll talk soon. Hey,
0: it was fun, Mike, and great catching up with you. And uh, hopefully we can do it again in the future. Absolutely. I want to thank
1: Brett for joining me on this episode. Uh, I know, you know, he, he had to take time, obviously, out of his day and from his family to do the show. So I'm, I'm always super appreciative of all my guests, um, Brett included. I thought it was a great, great interview and a chance to get some insight you know, into a business that seems to always have a lot of mystery surrounding it i think brett did a great job of talking about and clarifying some of the things that he does on a daily basis in particular you know how he handles potentially problematic um players if they're doing things that maybe um aren't working out so well either for society or in the media i thought it was really interesting um as always thank you all for listening and if you like the show, if you like this episode, if you like any of our other episodes, for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, I ask that you please take a moment out of your day and leave a five-star rating. And if you really like the show, I ask that you leave a review. It helps with the algorithm. It helps to promote the show. Also, you can follow the show on Instagram at Melkins1, Twitter, and at Melkins 31175. And of course, you can find me on Facebook, Michael Elkins, and of course, my law firm, MLE Law, where I practice primarily labor and employment law. Thanks everyone for listening. We've got some great guests coming up. So please also hit that subscribe button if you want to hear our future guests. I'll talk to everybody soon. Thank you.